everyone. It's episode zero, boys. Back at you again with another quarantine broadcast. Adam Klepp here, Lee Murray over there in Ann Arbor. With all the Michiganders trying to get through that Wayne County coronavirus. It's hitting pretty hard out there. I right hear in Chicago, hitting pretty hard too. On shutdown till April 30th, but it's it's draft season. Spirits are high for me. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing anything else, honestly, uh, if if there weren't a pandemic happening. So, I honestly, I'm I'm not phased at all, and it's draft season, and it's business as usual here. I mean, I you know, class at 125 ends at ends at two two fifteen, class again at three thirty five. I'm grinding tape from two fifteen to, to three thirty five. It's you know, it's yeah. What you know, what are we what are we doing out here? It's yeah. time to it's time to grind the tape, and uh, we've been in the lab a little bit since our edge prospect comparison podcast and we went back to the trenches we stayed in them trenches and went to some interior defensive linemen we went a few more prospects this time too for our for our comparison again we're comparing just these five players together but Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina Derek Brown from Auburn we had Ross Blacklock from TCU Raquan Davis from Alabama and as well as Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma were the were the yes, five sir. guys that that we took a look at so Lee just off the top give me give me your f- number one through five ranking there um I got Derek Brown at a close one I'll say it's a close one but at the end of the day it's it's a one it's a hard one um Javon Kinlaw coming at, in at two uh put uh, Neville Gallimore in at three uh, Blacklock, similarly a close four, but Gallimore a stern three there. And then uh, Raekwon Davis kind of trailing behind there at five out of these guys. Yeah, so uh, unlike the uh, edge edge one, we are in lockstep here. We are in, in brain meld. Okay. Um, except, except for, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm lying. I have Kinlaw as my number one. <laughs> okay, Kinlaw. I have, I have Kinlaw, but, but so along the same lines, though, yeah. I, I kind of have Kinlaw and Derek Brown as the top two clearly. Um, mm-hmm. I have both of them as top 15 picks in terms of what I would do. Um, it yep. seems like that's what will happen when it comes to the NFL draft, that both of these guys will go top 15, but that is where I would feel comfortable taking them. Uh, Blacklock and Neville Gallimore, I see more as players who – I could see Blacklock getting drafted uh, at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Gallimore. I think it's going to depend on what happens with the other prospects and kind of what I think of them. But I have both of those guys as maybe second round players. And the yeah. thing is, right when you when you go through your players, you're not going to have necessarily 32 first round grades. So you're going to have guys with second round grades maybe who do go in the first round just because there aren't 32 mm-hmm. in your mind first round prospects. So mm-hmm. I kind of have these two guys pegged as as second round picks. Yeah. Um, and uh, Raquan Davis, I think he might get drafted in the third just because of his size uh, and, and just coming from Alabama. But whether or not he actually deserves that when, when the draft comes is, is something I guess we'll get into. But let's just start it off at the top with Kinlaw and Brown. And two guys who I'm rooting for immensely after reading into their backgrounds. So first of all, Javon Kinlaw is somebody who has dealt with homelessness for a lot of his life. Uh, in high school, he had to move in with his dad, but that wasn't when he, you know when his mom couldn't find a, a stable place to live. But that wasn't good for him because his dad had alcohol and, and substance abuse issues, and he had to go to JUCO for a year before going to uh, South Carolina. 
and uh, just a guy who I when I was reading about him, you know, he's now trying to give back. He really wants to give back to you know the homeless community when he gets his check from the NFL, and so and so besides all that too, and then Derek Brown guy who coming up was uh, really bullied severely in elementary school, even into middle school, just for his size and, and being a bigger kid and has now kind of persevered through wanting to quit football in high school to now being a, a lock to go in the top 15 of the draft, potentially even top 10. And just from all uh, you know reports, just has a great head on his shoulders, a guy who you want in your, you know, on your team, on your side, just in terms of a guy who you know you're going to bring him in and he's not going to make any mistakes off the field. We're so, talking Derek Brown. I mean, there was a little blurb on the personal profile there that was saying that he was talking about possibly post-career, you know, getting into lobbying and, 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 and work with, uh, with the government. He just seems to be a very, you know, leadership club type of guy, stand-up citizen. Um, so someone that I definitely think will be wearing a C. Yeah, in 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 a couple of years from now, maybe yeah. not even a couple of years. He's he's definitely a leader and, and someone who uh, who's going to be representing one of these franchises. Yeah, so let's get into kind of the players themselves on the field and the reason I have Kinlaw ahead of Derek <coughs> Brown. I think Derek Brown is just a clear double. If you you know if you draft him, he's just he's just going to be a very solid pick for you. Um, doesn't make a lot of mistakes on the football field, but for me, Kinlaw. That ceiling is so much higher than Brown's is uh, in terms of what he could potentially be as a menace on the interior of an NFL defensive line. Um, he's huge, 6'5", 324, and that is a built 6'5", 324. Um, he has inconsistencies in his play, but at the same time, those inconsistencies, you see him be successful at them. So, for example... There's literally a back-to-back series in the Georgia game, which, by the way, I think is the best tape I've seen for one game of any prospect yet. Not that I've watched. Right there, stamp that with right there with you. I texted you when I watched that mm-hmm. and said he's 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 the pick at three. Yeah, I was watching. I know, and so I mean, after watching that Georgia game, I think that's the best <laughs> prospect game I've seen yet of any prospect that I've watched. And there's literally a two-play sequence where. There, he gets blown back by a double team, which tends to happen to him sometimes just because of his height and he has some leverage issues. And I was, I wrote it down. I was like, mm, he kind of got blown back by a double team. I'd seen him get like pushed back a little bit before, but not really blown back like that. The next play, he gets double teamed and then just completely rips both guys apart and stonewall Swift in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like there are the inconsistency issues, but it's not like you never see him, you know, overcome a double team. Like he splits them like he's. done it a million times before so to me it's like he he has everything in the toolbox it's more about him just refining it a little bit more um also he's just always in attack mode which i don't always see with derrick brown derrick brown is very much like you know two gapping reading what's going on and kinlaw is just always creating havoc which you know necessarily isn't always a good thing there's literally a play in the mizzou game that i wrote down where he blows the center of the guard back seven yards but the running back goes flying by him so sometimes it's a little bit of an uncontrolled bowl in the china chop thing going on Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in but when you look but at the same time too and i'm kind of going on long and i'll get to you in a second lee but when you look at the team that he's on being on south carolina going four and eight you know, the Clemson game, you're just getting killed like 31 to three. And I see people saying, oh, sometimes he becomes disinterested. It's like 
He's the best player on his team. The team isn't going anywhere. He's going top 15. And I'm not trying to make excuses for this, these things because obviously you want to see a player go all out for 60 minutes every single game. But at the same time, it's just like if he was on like an Auburn or an LSU and like I think the types of games like you saw against Georgia, you would see on a week-to-week-to-week basis. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a relatively bold stance, um, but also I completely understand where you're coming from. I just think that it's a classic situation where I'll readily admit that Javon Kenlaw probably has a higher ceiling than Derek Brown, um, but I take the higher floor almost every time, especially when you get Derek Brown, at least in my opinion, similar to kind of how I analyzed Devin Bush last year as someone who I view as a future captain, a foundational player, kind of a franchise player, someone who you who you can, a decade type of player, who you can kind of invest in for a 10-year minimum uh, time window. And I, and, and I think that's extremely rare in the NFL. And, you know, maybe I'm, I could be wrong about these things, but this is just kind of where I feel about Derek Brown. So personally, that's why I have him ranked one. But it could be, you know, a situation where a team is more interested in the potential um, and, and they go with Kim Law. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at that whatsoever. But, uh, but I, don't, I don't necessarily think it will happen. Um, and I did, I, I understand where you're coming from too with the whole Clemson situation and him not being on a great team. But at the same time, I mean, he rarely even stood out on tape in yeah. either. Mm-hmm. I watched 2018 and 2019, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking like if I'm watching these games without knowing I'm watching Javon Kinlaw tape, the, the only thing I notice about Javon Kinlaw is like, oh, that's, that guy's pretty big in the middle there and he's like a you know, solid athlete or whatever. Like there's nothing really more about him that. I would notice he's not disrupting too much. He's not. He's getting blown back a lot. The effort isn't there a lot. So that did kind of worry me because I did put down selective effort in my notes, and it wasn't all the time. There was times yep. that was completely on, and you saw the motor, like you said. So I think you covered this pretty much, but um, I think it's a, like I said, it's a classic situation of a little similar to the linebackers last year with Devin Bush and Devin White, almost where you have a more rangy kind of projectable athlete player, and then yep. you have a more kind of foundational traditional. Uh, higher floor player to select from. So an interesting scenario, kind of where the the defensive tackles are going to end up falling in the in the draft this year. Like you said, top the top fifteen window. I don't see either of these guys really slipping out of that top fifteen window. Um, I don't like to do comps unless they really come like to me, like when I'm watching them. I don't try and like project a comp, and I really didn't even come up with one for Javon Kinlaw, but. After like you know watching Lin, um, after watching Derek Brown for a little bit, I came to Linval Joseph. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I thought that was. Yeah. No. I mean, I I can see that. Yeah. I. I think that maybe I need to give Linval Joseph a little bit more credit, but I just think that Derek Brown is a bit more of a disruptor and like a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. Um, in terms of like kind of what he did with ball production on defense and in, in, in the Florida game, how impressive he was, you know, with the fumble recovery and whatnot. Just seeing those little bursts from him where he can, you know, look like a, a bit more athletic than he comes off. Um, but I but I definitely think that that's a solid comparison. He's got to roll back that, that Eagles player. the Eagles film from Linval Joseph. He had like a fifty yard pick six, right? And he's on the sideline with his sunglasses and the in the mask, yeah, right? I, I, I got to right? roll that. You got to roll that tape back. Come on now, <laughs> Derek Brown fell down on that fumble return. Come on now, let's go. <laughs> I I, th- I thought that there were moments on film where he looked really athletic, though. No, he does. Surprisingly he does. athletic, you know. Um, For sure. Yeah, no, he he did kind of stumble around a little bit there. Um, uh, but just how much he's around the ball, I like. You know, yeah, he's, he's definitely got a nose for it. He's experienced, and uh, he he uh, 
he fills all the all the traits you kind of want, and that's a that type of player. Um, gritty, so let's, gritty, heady guy. Let's let's jump down to our next tier here with Ross Blacklock again from TCU, Neville Gallimore from from Oklahoma, and also two players who are are somewhat similar in my eyes, just in terms of what they project to be successful at when it comes to the NFL level. Um, I'll start, I guess, with Gallimore since he is my number three overall uh, player of these five. And I, I would like to say, too, it could change in the future. I don't know. I just have maybe a few more concerns with, with Blacklock um, in terms of some other things that I don't have with Gallimore. And I'll get into that. So with Gallimore, I just thought that he was um, really great in terms of pass rush counters and penetration and especially just gap shooting. Uh, he's really disruptive. He has like an awesome high swim move. He goes to it a lot, um, and, and it works pretty well, um, like uh, pretty, pretty well. And he, the run game, I think, is a little bit of a concern. Double teams, a little bit of a concern. He doesn't anchor that well. He can get blown back and kind of get out leveraged in, in certain things. But overall, a really exciting player, someone who's really fast. And I think both of these players, and I'll get into Blacklock here too, if you can pair them with like a, an interior D tackle who's kind of like a strong anchor type player. And you can put these guys as a kind of just a B gap shooting three technique. That's just going to get up field and, and cause some disruption. Uh, I think that those are, that's kind of like where their wheelhouse is going to be in the NFL, especially when it comes to Blacklock. Cause I guess I can get some of the concerns as to why I put him at four is kind of his playing weight is light being 290, weighing in at the combine at 290. Um, it was kind of a surprise to me because I was reading about him and he was apparently he said he was playing at 330 his freshman year his sophomore year which is the next red flag is he misses it due to a tour Achilles which I would care more about if it was a skill position but still that's not an injury that you really want to see uh, before they get to the NFL um, and then he said just from working out and rehabbing like crazy that he got down to to you know under to like 290 into the summer going into this last season and he was saying in this article that he wants to be up at 315 to play tcu listed him at 305 for the season then he comes to the combine and weighs in at 290 i just think i'd really like to see him get up to a galley more being at about 305 mm -hmm. just to play on the interior in the nfl um yeah so uh, what do you kind of think of these two players lee um, I, I like the comparison there. I, I think that you see a little bit more fluidity on Blacklock. Uh, the Achilles definitely concerns me. I think that these guys are neck and neck prospects if there's not the Achilles injury, possibly. Um, I like the feet better a little bit on Blacklock, but I think Gallimore's better, a better natural athlete. I think Gallimore has a better anchor. Um, I think Gallimore's a little bit more of like a freak in terms of what he can do physically. Um, and just more of an all-around natural athlete. And I really did, like Noble Gallimore I saw a few times, had just some really impressive power hands moves where he would just shoot the hands really quick and completely get the uh, offensive lineman off base. And, and it would be extremely effective and impressive on tape. And I just didn't see that out of a lot of uh, the guys that, you know, uh, we uh, we watched film on as often as I did on Gallimore. And I was really impressed by that. And I just all around liked Gallimore more. I thought he had a little bit more to offer. Um, and I like the little prophecy for Blacklock. If he's available at that Steelers pick there in the second round, mid-second round, I think he would fit in relatively well on that defensive line. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily what they need, but I don't think Blacklock necessarily has the explosiveness to be, you know, a first-round pick. Yeah, well, they lost Hargrave, so they're definitely looking for somebody to yeah. juice up that interior for sure in Pittsburgh. And um, 
just kind of a, one last thing on these last two guys too is I definitely felt that Gallimore affected the game consistency consistently more than Blacklock did. I felt mm-hmm. that Gallimore was more of a consistent force where Blacklock would kind of have ebbs and flows where you know he wasn't really making any plays and then all of a sudden he would just kind of make two great back to back quarterback pressures or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I just felt that there was more consistency play to play from from Gallimore than there than there was from from Blacklock. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get now into I guess Raquan Davis, just a guy who I kind of got hey, bored you're, watching. I think you're rubbing on your mic a little bit oh. there when you're turning the page. Just watch out for that. Sorry. Just FYI. You're good. Um, Raquan Davis, just a guy I kind of got bored watching. Yeah, me too. I don't know. It's it can say the exact same thing. He has very projectable physical traits, but when it comes to kind of production as well, his, his he, I was kind of reading about him a little bit more too in that he was really expected to make this big jump from his freshman to sophomore year and it didn't happen. Then it was like, okay, maybe sophomore to junior year and then it didn't happen again. And he's just kind of caught in limbo. I also saw that he is rumored to have shot himself in the leg outside of a bar after the Mayweather-McGregor fight potentially. That little, takes him off my draft board yeah, yeah. completely. <laughs> to be honest, if I, I, I don't know how I don't know how credible it was, but that was a little yeah. a little birdie that I I saw on the internet. Assuming was, assuming that there's credibility there, then I would take him off my draft board completely. But before I knew that that little bit of news, um, I had him ranked as a fifth round, maybe a late fourth. And uh, I I said he's a big body. He, I just he blended in on this Alabama defense, and I want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ended up watching more almost Xavier McKinney than I did Raekwon Davis on this Alabama tape. I was, like, a little more blown away by McKinney uh, out there at safety. Um, So I got a little little sneak peek for when I'm going to preview the safeties, but not really impressed by Raekwon. Like I said, blended in. But I'm sure a team will spend maybe a fourth or fifth round pick on him just based on size and projectability. Um, But I really wasn't impressed by him whatsoever, especially considering – the four other guys that we uh, previewed, I don't think any of those guys are going to go past the mid-second round, maybe late second round. And I was really impressed by all four of them, to be honest, in a lot of different sequences. Even the least impressive out of the four, Blacklock, I was found myself watching him and being steadily impressed when I was watching the film. Like, I, at no point was I really that bored at all. And then I watch a guy like Raekwon Davis, and there's, there's absolute missiles all over that defense, and it's really hard to kind of focus on him and, because at the end of the day, he's really not bringing that much to the table. Um, so that's kind of my synopsis on, on Raekwon, similar to, to, to Bob Carlton, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, and so I'm, another thing, too, I thought he was just really slow to get off the ball. I would hit, hit pause sometimes, and all these guys along the line are way out of their stance and flying upfield, and he's still in his, in his three yeah. point, still has his hand in the dirt. Um, and he, you think he had two and a half sacks last year, and one of them came against LSU where he literally it took him a second to get off the ball, and because he was so late off the ball – he was able to track down Burrow like as he fled over to the sideline and then like sacked him. Like, yeah. as Burrow was trying to make something happen because the play kind of it was just like so there was one of his sacks already. I didn't even really care to go looking for the other one and a half, but uh, just, yeah. yeah, just a guy who I was yeah disappointed with, and it didn't really seem like he was six six three fifteen on tape at least. No, not so. at all. Not at all. But, uh, um, yeah, the, the, the owner of Bar 17 believes that uh, he shot himself because he was uh, not cooperating with investigators, according mm-hmm. to ABC 3340 News. Raycon's got to be uh, – he's a 6'6 guy. It's tough to handle that piece. But, man, hey, if you got the piece, you got to learn how to handle it. That's all I got to say. 
Um, should we should we get into our, our, our little? Uh, do you want to do your surprise segment first, or do you want to do our little top ten segment first? I'd like to do the surprise segment All first because right. I put I put a good bit of thought in this. Okay. I have three guys. I, I came up with three guys and I, I ranked them on most uh, most realistic realisticity mi- mixed with excitement. I, I ranked them based on that kind of. That's kind of how I approached it. So. Um, the first one, I'm going to browse over the draft board here. I'm um, looking at the Jaguars at nine, if they want to make a play. And the segment here is, I don't know if we introduced it, is a surprise pick on the top ten. Like, we're not seeing a lot of mock drafts. Maybe, oh, so we're not doing your little, what, what are we doing? This is a surprise, your, okay. your segment, right? Yeah, yeah, this is my segment. Yeah, yeah. You were talking yeah. about something yesterday that you wanted to, to bring up to me. Oh, oh, that that's a conversation. That's a conversation. Oh, okay. All that's right. a different. I completely right. misread that. You're good. All right, my bad, my bad. <laughs> no, no, no. I want I want to do uh do your little segment. Here. All right. All right. We'll do we'll so, do this little top 10 surprise segment. Why don't you introduce it? All right. So we got the top 10 surprise segment here. Here's a top 10 pick in this year's NFL draft that will come as a surprise, you know, something that you don't see in very many mock drafts and maybe a player that you don't see getting drafted uh nearly as high as, as we may be projecting them here in this segment. Um, my first prospect is someone who aforementioned on this very podcast, Xavier McKinney, the safety out of Alabama. I think a player who, versatile, athletic, um, underrated right now in the draft process, can't see him going early second in some mocks, late first. I think he's a mid to maybe even early first player. I think he's extremely versatile. Offers a lot, and I think maybe Jacksonville. If they're looking to pick at nine and they want to make a splash move, I think maybe they, they go go in Xavier McKinney's direction. Uh, the second player was another player that I mentioned in an earlier podcast, and that's Eter Gross Matos. I mentioned in my projection that I could see him going in the top ten to the early second round, and I think that they're very likely it would be similar to a Cleveland Farrell situation um, where a team – unsuspected to, to anyone in the draft process, snags a guy who's extremely projectable and rangy who they kind of just fall in love with in the draft process. And the third and final prospect would be cornerback Jeff Gladney at TCU. And now I haven't reviewed cornerbacks yet, so I don't want to put my heart and soul into this one, but based mm-hmm. on, off of just the college football I watched this year, I was extremely impressed by Jeff Gladney, thoroughly impressed, impressed with him enough to rank him my number two cornerback just coming out based off what I watched. Um, and I think that Okuda's off the board. A team may be desperate for a corner. Um, I think if, if someone, similar to like I said about Gross Matos, fall in love with a guy like, like Gladney, gritty corner, played for a defensive mastermind at TCU, um, I, think that, uh, I think that might be an enticing pick in the top ten, something that would be interesting and you know, kind of out of left field. So those are the three that I came up with. Yeah, so, so I have two little things that I have. So the first one I wanted to say is, I think that you don't see a lot of receivers mocked in the top 10 just because the fits aren't necessarily there with those teams in the top 10, that there are other higher needs for those teams. But I also really think that there are teams, especially kind of with when you look through Carolina and Arizona and Jacksonville, three teams that I wouldn't be shocked if they really would like to move out of of those top 10 picks and, and kind of acquire a few more picks later in the draft, especially teams like Carolina and Jacksonville that are just trying to rebuild their rosters a little bit more. And so I would really like to project some team coming up into the top 10 to take one of these wide receivers, whether it be Lamb, Judy, or Ruggs. And, and honestly, I really could see it being uh, C.D. Lamb uh, out of Oklahoma being being that pick that someone really hops up for, especially with, with San Francisco sitting there at 13, 
kind of threatening and and you know that Kyle Shanahan's going to want to add a top flight receiver especially in a draft with this much talent that I I could see a team that's trying to you know get that second piece even like a Denver yeah or um, Minnesota, know, man. In Minnesota, packaging Minnesota's those two got picks. Those two to, picks right there. Who's the number two behind Thielen? I don't think you can rely on on, on that mm-hmm. receiver room right now. I think yeah. you maybe need to bring a guy like Lamb or Judy in. Maybe you're right. I mean, that could be a very enticing conversation. Or um, Philly, and Philly, like we talked about, if they want to give up assets to move up and get who they think may maybe a stud. Um, and then the. The second thing I wanted to throw at you, and I guess we'll get a little, you know, always love getting the Lions involved when it when it comes to this podcast, and that's the Lions taking Derek Brown at three. And I, <laughs> because because here's what I'm thinking is that okay maybe they don't like Akuda as much as we think. They signed Desmond Trufant. They played Amani Orarie a lot in the end of the season. He got a pick. He didn't, um, you know, wasn't. In, you know, incredibly impressive. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick, but he's a guy that they're developing, a guy that I think they really like. And maybe they just say – and then you look at the interior of their defensive line, and it's horrible right now. Literally, the only thing they added is Danny Shelton, and you have a kind of a bunch of misfits behind him. I mean, you're hoping Deshaun Hand comes back and fills a three-tech role, but he's been injured consistently. You can't really, you know, count on that to come. And I, I just think if you get in a spot, too, especially where the Chargers signed Cam Newton – the value isn't really there to move back. Um, I don't know. I just think that. I, I love that take. I think that. I love that take. And, and you don't really see it up at three ever that they're taking a D tackle. But I think yeah. them taking Derek Brown wouldn't be surprising at all to me, considering how much Patricia likes his defensive lineman who can just control two gaps and, and get after it. I think also Derek Brown, if you want to talk about a locker room guy, I'm going to go on and on just like Devin Bush last mm-hmm. year. He can bring some stability, man. He can really bring some stability to that locker room. And that's why. Although it may not be the sexiest move, and Okuda, I'll be the first one to say it, very enticing prospect, a cornerback can come in and be a number one cornerback most likely, I think it might be a smart move. Um, and, and I wouldn't, it would take me, I would definitely have a little bit of pause. I would not judge that pick right off the bat. Um, and when you're bringing in a, play, a player who I personally am this intrigued by uh, this year in Derek Brown, I can't really argue that. So I, and I, I think that's an interesting take. Someone on NFL Network in a mock draft I was watching said that. Uh, like a, a couple of days ago. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting that you brought that up. <clears throat> and that also ties into what I wanted to bring up. And that is just kind of a general conversation about take Okuda out of the conversation completely. And the cornerbacks is literally just pick your poison. It's, yeah. it's every, every war room is going to have a different ranking of these cornerbacks. And it's going to be absolute madness, I think, come draft day. On People have strong opinions about Trayvon Diggs. People have strong opinions about Damon Arnett. People have strong opinions about Henderson and Gladney and all these guys. I, A.J. Terrell, you mix the good and the bad tape and the mix of, like we talked about, their inability to tackle with their inability to cover or their you know, extra ability to cover but they can't tackle or whatever. Um, I just think that it's just an interesting conversation, and I'm going to be very interested to see, maybe not after day one, well, after day one, but definitely after day one and day two, kind of just a ranking of where all these, you know, where all they go, in order, where all these cornerbacks go in the draft. Just kind of to see how the NFL generally ranks these DBs, because I would not really be that shocked if a guy like Damon Arnett came off the board before C.J. Henderson, you know? Yeah. 
Like, I, I really would not be, you know, picking my job off the floor if well, that would happen. And, and, you know, <laughs> I, I haven't watched a ton of these corners yet, but what I've, I've read, too, from C.J. Henderson, and he kind of seems like he could be a Greedy Williams-type scenario mm-hmm. where due to his lack of, of physicality that, yeah. that he goes from a guy who gets talked about as potentially going really high in the draft. I mean, he could be somebody, if, you know, we had someone else on this podcast who might say, oh, he could be a top-ten pick. Mm-hmm. Right, where he got mm-hmm. like a surprise top ten pick, but you know, yeah. I I kind of see his stock starting to slide just because of those physicality concerns, and yeah. he could be a guy like Greedy who ends up falling out of the first round completely. Um, yeah. I also think really interesting too, just to bring maybe Okuda back into it a little bit, is more than any other position. I know we try to try to not get too much into wrapped up into combine stuff, but more than any other position, the stopwatch matters the most for corners. Um, in terms of mm-hmm. if you want to be successful in the NFL. If you run over a 4-6, really the only guy that's been successful in the NFL running a 4-6 has been Josh Norman. Um, you really have to have at least 4-4 speed if you want to project well, at least in your rookie year at the position. And Jeff Okuda does not have that elite corner speed for the pick that he's getting talked about taking at, whereas you look in the past, like Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, both guys from Ohio State had 4-3-40s. Even a guy like Jerry Alexander, 4-3-40, and Okuda clocked in at a four four eight, which is you know on the it, it's average in terms of mm-hmm. the speed for a corner. I, so I, I just want to wanted to bring that in a little bit too, just because I think people act like he's this you know once in a lifetime elite prospect. He's you know very good, probably one of the top ten players in the draft overall. But mm-hmm. to, to kind of think that he's this all around you know freak is is a little bit off base for me. But I think you're totally right when it when it comes to the corners. I see yep. different people every single day. I mean, you know, Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State gets a lot of hype. I saw um, Noah Ig- Benahany or whatever from, mm-hmm. from Auburn get mocked in, in the first round the other day by, by a guy that I like on Twitter. So, And then, you know, Christian Fulton, LSU, you have that, yep. you know, LSU yep. magic defense, great season. Let's bring in a championship caliber type guy. And, yeah, I want to I mean, give a shout-out, too, to a cornerback that no one is talking about. And that is a cornerback who popped off on tape when I was watching Neville Gallimore. And that's cornerback Parnell Motley out of Oklahoma, number 11 over there at Oklahoma. Right now I'm looking at the, the Draft Network's predictive board. He's at 391 on their ranking. So he's right down there dwelling. In the, in the undrafted free agent territory. He's, he's in a, yeah, he's in UDFA territory. This guy is going to get drafted before the fourth round. Interesting. <laughs> this guy's going to get drafted before the fourth round. That's a, that's a, is that a prophecy? This is a prophecy. Okay. And, I'm, and it's live, and there's a little juice behind it. There's a little juice behind this prophecy because, because I, you know, this is, this is one of, he's becoming one of my boys. He's becoming one of my dogs. Yeah, I'm okay. riding with him. He's kind of a Kamara-like, you know, prospect here. That he's we're he's in the stable. He's in the draft, Lee Murray draft stable. stable. Yeah. I mean, I'm reading about him. He struggled, man. I think this might be why he is so low on some draft boards is because he really struggled with confidence issues sophomore year. Never really was a steady starter until his senior year. He showed promise junior year. And he completely killed it this year, senior year. PFF has him ranked as, for whatever it's worth, and I know PFF is what it is, but it can be useful sometimes. They watch they every rank, play. They watch every they, play. They have they have Motley ranked as the number one player on Oklahoma's defense over Murray and Gallimore. And I'm looking at this draft board like, what the heck? I'm looking at him on film. On film is where I found out about him first because I knew about him in the season. I was like, I remember number 11. I was like, oh, he could be relatively disruptive because I watched a lot of Oklahoma 
Because and I remember like Caleb Kelly and Motley, and I'm seeing them on tape, and I'm like, oh man, why the heck isn't this guy higher up on draft boards? I mean, you know, I'm seeing a lot of names I'm familiar with higher up on draft boards, and he's not one of them. And you know, I can't really figure it out for the life of me why he's not at least in that fourth or fifth round range on some of these draft boards. Or third, I would rank him as a as a third. I got to really get into the weeds with my cornerbacks. But um, so you're, you, just he, for the for the record, me. you're saying by round you know by round five when once round five starts, he will be off the board. I I was I, on the hype. I was going to say once round four starts, but it really would be more fair to say once round five starts. Okay. Be, it, it, round four is a little too juicy. I would be yeah. hyped if that happens. But let's say once round five starts, and uh, yeah, I mean he went one on one with Denzel Mims for most of the, uh, the the second Baylor game, if I'm not mistaken. And they had a they had a battle, man. They went at it. They went at it. And that's a that's a prospect in Denzel Mims who we're seeing getting mocked as early as, you know, twenty one with the Vikings or whatever it is. So if you got a guy who can compete with that, you may as well give him a shot, right? Yeah, well and, and now that we've we've dipped our toe into the corner pool, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the man from Iowa who popped off for me Absolutely. while watching AJ Epinesa, and that's mm-hmm. Michael Ojemudia. Yes, sir. The Farmington Hills product played against him uh, senior year in high school. Uh, a guy who popped off on film back then. Back then uh, popped off on film. Got is, several uh, shout-outs from the old ball coach. Yeah, and still in just in, in, the, in the Iowa game, you know, I'm mainly watching Epinesa, but I'm seeing this guy fly up and make plays on, you know, short screens, uh, run support, just not afraid to get his get his nose dirty. He can tell that he just loves the game of football, and, and I mean that's apparent back from from high school. I guess we have a little bit more background on it, but absolutely uh, a guy who, uh, from what I've read, projects more as a zone corner. And and I was texting you that I'd love to see him end up in a place like Seattle. I feel like that's a place where he he would thrive. And they you know say he has some man coverage issues, some stiffness in the hips. Again, haven't really gotten in the weeds on this corner film, but at the same time runs a four four five. So. It's not like we're talking about a guy who's running a four-five-seven and is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a big physical guy. I mean, he has the straight line speed. Whether or not it's there laterally and, you know, in terms of backpedal and flipping those hips is, at least for me, remains to be seen. Apparently, there's some questions. So, uh, but definitely, but it, it definitely interesting, and and especially for a team like the Lions at the top of the second round, right? Who have that huge corner need? You kind of wonder: is it going to be like? Is there going to be this run on corners? Or after Okuda, are these guys like Fulton, Henderson, Gladney, Terrell, Igbenehi, are they going to go in the mid-20s on a run? Or are they going to be available there at the top of the second round to kind of start to take their – almost like we saw last year with with uh, uh, Byron uh, from – Byron, I can't remember, from Washington. Oh, yeah, yeah, Byron Marshall. Right? Yeah, Mar- mm-hmm. yeah. Um, who, who went to the, the Cardinals at the top the Cardinals, of the second yeah. round, right? So is it going to yeah. be more of that kind of a scenario this year? Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I'll be. I mean, I just have an odd feeling that like the Raiders are gonna are gonna take Damon Arnett at at like nineteen or twenty seven or something at, like that. Th- yeah, they're at. Tw- uh, I- I'm sorry, nineteen. Nineteen, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I that, yeah sorry, nineteen. I, I was looking at like yeah. Mm-hmm. And back on Ojemudia for a second, just to just to talk on him a little bit more. Six foot, two hundred, and just loving the chip he plays with, the passion he plays with. Man, I love seeing. DBs who can really get downfield and make plays behind the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. um, like that clip you sent me. So I uh, love seeing him fly around. I think Pete Carroll loves players like that. So maybe we got ourselves a little, a little pre-prophecy with, with Ojemudia to Seattle. And you know that Seattle ain't afraid to, to make a splash. 
No. Good or bad. Good or bad. Good or. But it. it <laughs> Honestly, mostly bad. But. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but good. But sometimes. hey, I mean that their their entire splash draft got into the Super Bowl with with Wagner and and uh, you know Wilson and yeah, Devon Curse and so sometimes no, he sometimes true. he hit homers. That is true. Um, Clef, after watching these guys, if you uh, let's just say for the sake of of our little simulation here, if you just get Okuda in the first round, and you got a board with with Gallimore and Blacklock on it. Um, are you looking at DT in the second round, or are you kind of looking elsewhere and, and kind of considering where you're at, you know, with the board? Um, so that, for me, would would de- depend on... I really want to go back and watch um, Zach Bond from, from Wisconsin because yeah. I've been hearing really good things about him in terms of an edge rusher, and I yeah. think that that would be a higher priority for me in terms of getting a guy who can can rush the pass from the outside um, as opposed, cause I feel like you can piecemeal. Um, I don't know though, but you, you sign a guy like Jamie Collins. So it's like maybe that, you know, that interior is what they need. Um, I would just be concerned that with Detroit, you're trying to fill an immediate need there with a, with an up, you know, a D tackle that can, can get after the passer after adding a guy like Danny Shelton and Hey, maybe it works out. Um, I think 35 would be a little rich for, for Blacklock or Gallimore. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they made one of those picks, I wouldn't be surprised, and I also wouldn't, you know, be against it. Because yeah. I, I think, I, I think if you know both of those guys, especially early on in their career, you just ask them to be a, a gap shooting three technique to get upfield and kind of cause chaos in, in the middle of, of the pocket. Uh, I think that they can both be very successful. I would probably lean Gallimore just because of the weight concerns and the injury concerns with Blacklock, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I, it's it's hard to, to to project those guys. I mean, I see, I saw like, I, I hate these these comparisons, man. These comparisons get oh, out, yeah, out of yeah. hand. Like, I saw someone compare Blacklock to like Gerald McCoy, and it's oh, like they're man. not even that's, like Gerald McCoy went like what top five he, in the draft, he three. He like yeah. Behind, so it's like Stafford and Sue. If I'm yeah, mistaken. so it's just like I, I guess like obviously like that's maybe like the best case scenario is that they're that kind of this like athletic interior threat. But at the, I don't I don't know I didn't really come up with a great I don't like and I hated even saying this but like Akeem Spence I remember I, I kind of end up comparing him to a lot of the Lions because that's why I, I used to I, that's why I watched the most and Akeem Spence was never as productive as I think that both of these guys can be but just as an interior guy who who flashes every once in a while like a great move or something but mm-hmm. I, I don't know I I, I yeah. would be hesitant I guess to draft one of these guys at, at 35 but at the same time it, it definitely would fit a need for sure. Yeah, I think the comparison. What about, what about you? What about you? You you, you got Okuda at three. You're still sitting there at 35. Like you didn't make any trades or anything. Yeah, like you said with Bond, totally need to watch more of him. Um, that's something I'm I'm gonna do in the immediate future to kind of wrap up my edge analysis. But I'm for sure analyzing the board and kind of seeing where I'm at. I'm possibly taking a peek at receiver. I don't think Geronimo Allison is really a serious signing. No, no, that's that's a that's a depth com- competitive exactly. signing. Yeah. So I'm maybe looking at receiver and seeing where the board's landing there and seeing where I can get a complimentary piece to uh, to Galladay. Don't know what the future holds with Marvin Jones. I know um, he'll be here next year, but but yeah, definitely looking at receiver and. and I don't know, maybe polishing up the offensive line as much as you may hate to hear it. I'd probably wait till round. No, three, I, but, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know. 
I, I'm, I'm liking this Robert Hunt guy from Louisiana. I want mm-hmm. to uh, I want to talk to you about that a little bit. I can see him. I can see him in the Honolulu Blue. I definitely can see him in the Honolulu Blue. So. Yeah, I hear, I, I hear hit or miss it, things about the, the interior line class this year, though, too, which, which gives me pause totally. as well in terms of, you know, waiting to fill that hole. Are they planning on moving Tyrell Crosby in that guard? And even if they yeah. do, and, and like putting Dahl at left, like, uh, yeah. And then, no, but even if you do that, like, you, still need, you need, to... still need something for depth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And things can still happen in terms of moves that, that Quinn or other teams are going to make, but. What I would say about Okuda and Gallimore, it's your first two picks, is those are two guys that are most most likely both going to be starting for you and, and yep. playing a, a lot of football for you next year, which is not always something you can guarantee out of your first two picks, yep. you know, first and second round picks in the draft. And I think both those guys would almost be like free agent signings in a way, where they just come in and make an impact immediately, which I think is exactly what the doctor you know, ordered for the for, for the Lions, and and so. especially if you you know maybe with that number thirty five pick, try and take a swing at one of these corners. You mm-hmm. know, you know, obviously, like you were prefacing with Okuda going three, but still, I mean, you, we we saw all saw with Darius Slay, everyone wrote him off as a bust from his first season just because he was mm-hmm. awful, right? Yeah. So especially for the for a cornerback position, like maybe that is a reason to take Okuda at three, just because you know, like you said, your no your number two guy you know, might not be there because all these yeah. things are going to be so different uh, in terms of where these corners fall for these teams. On the oh, boards. man. Clep, so. if, you, if you could, this is just like a fantasy land comment, but if you could just get 5 and 26 yeah. for, for 3 and you could just get Okuda and then you could grab, you know, let's say you grab, you take a liberty and grab Gallimore with 26 and then you can get a guy like Arnett. In the second yep. round, and then you can bring Okuda and Arnett in with Gallimore <laughs> into that secondary. That takes so much pressure, I think, off of Okuda. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just think that well, would just yeah, be such no, a scenario. I mean, you already scenario. have Trafant there, but I mean, I no, would totally. I, I, if if the Lions could somehow, scourge, I mean, dude, I think I, that would be the happiest I could be is if you get two picks <laughs> in this first round and then you come around again at thirty-five. And, and you, make it in splash like, dude, I mean, what if you even you you could even go like okay, you trade back to five, you get Okuda. Because you assume that you know the yeah. team that moves up to three gets a quarterback, the Giants would take a tackle. You'd get Okuda at five, and then when you're at 26, you you know you can maybe take a Caesar Ruiz, you know, yeah. or, or an interior totally. lineman, and then you come just back completely sure. And then you the, come yeah. back at 35, and then I would feel much more comfortable taking a Gallimore or a Blacklock because you have that mm-hmm. kind of insurance from from that pick earlier. Yeah. So absolutely. I mean and that boy, that I would mean, be know, that would be the dream scenario. It would be it would be a, a bit of a luxury, but I don't think any receiver in this class fits better with the Lions than Lavisca Chenault would, hmm. with with what they're trying to do. I think Lavisca Chenault would be first on my list of, of of a receiver I'd want for the Lions, and in second in terms of what they're trying to do, I would be Devin Duvernay. Who we'll preview later when we get to receivers, but he's my offensive man crush of the. And I, I'm, I'm finding out a lot about myself in this year's draft. I'm finding out I'm kind of a Big 12 guy all of a sudden. <laughs> and it's, it's a little bit unsettling, but I, yeah. need to, uh, I need to get grind the tape a little bit harder and kind of figure out where, where I fall. But with all this Gladney, Motley, Duvernay love, you know, i got to uh, maybe take a step back. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Lee. Every, you know, I, I remember I, when I was kind of getting on this podcast, I was, you know, 
I, I was grinding a lot of D-tackle tape, and it was feeling a little drafted out, but after after this conversation, my juices are, are right back up. I'm, I'm right I'm ready to hop back and in I the lab, tell baby. You one more thing, Clappin, for all our listeners, another guy I love, and we'll go Pac-12, Lucky Fotu. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because you were sending me some D-tackle from Utah for those people who, uh, another big guy, man, 6'5", what, 320? He's 6'5", 337. 337, Jesus, my bad. Dude, this guy, talk about someone who leaps and bounds compared to Raekwon Davis. Someone who's just always impacting, making plays. He played rugby. um, He's got, like, background in rugby. Extremely athletic. Huge monster of a guy. By a slight amount, the youngest out of the D-tackle prospects we reviewed. He's younger than all the guys we reviewed. So he's still a little bit, a little bit raw, um, but I mean, really enjoyed the tape I watched. I think this guy absolutely has an NFL future. Some of this tape, I'm scratching my head like he's looking like a first round prospect, honestly. Um, so I was loving watching Fotu, and I think he's a guy who look at that Steelers pick maybe in the mid second round if they're trying to make a splash pick. That's a guy who they can come in and kind of just craft under that, you know, culture. Um, or one of those, you know, good franchises who really knows, maybe even the Patriots, just a guy who can come in and be uh, a really good player for you and develop with your team. Um, I, I just really enjoyed the film watching, watching Fotu, and then I watched a little bit of Matabuke, Matabuike. Yeah, from Texas in, Tech. Somewhat impressed by, you know, watching so much of this tape, it's so hard to kind of discern at some points, and he wasn't a guy who I necessarily, I couldn't find too many things bad about him, but if it was... Him, Blackhawk, and Gallimore. I'm taking Blackhawk and Gallimore over him. Um, and then I watched some Ohio State defensive line and, and, and saw a bit of, uh, uh, what's his name, Davon Hamilton. And, uh, and Robert Landers popped off a little bit. Robert Landers is another guy, 239 on the draft network, but 6'1", 285. So he's not very big at D-line, but small guy who disrupted a lot this year for Ohio State. And then... Davon Hamilton, I think, could be a solid depth pick. Another guy who I take over, Raekwon Davis, <clears throat> although he's ranked lower than him. Um, well, yeah, especially after the you know incident. The, yes. Hey, hey, let's just say there was no one, no one popping caps at Connor Ryan's fight day party. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, was uh, so we wanted to, we want to go offense right with our next batch here. Yeah, let's go offense. Um, Did you want to do receivers or running backs? I'm, I'm on, I'm versatile. I can do either. I'm kind of, I'm kind of intrigued in these, in these receivers. After you said Chenault to the Lions, I had, you know, but yeah, if we want to yeah. get in these running back weeds, I know you were interested in them too. I mean, we can go back to back. Totally. Um, let's start with receivers. All right. And let's. So who do, who do we want to get after here? Because it's a it's a thick list. Do we want to maybe leave Judy Ruggs and, and Lamb to the top and get into the uh, weeds a little bit? I, I was gonna say leave those three guys. Okay. And let's just assume that. Because I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I I don't watch as much college football as you. Um, yeah. I'll I'll leave you. I guess to say is are those for sure like the kind of the top three no matter what. I don't necessarily think so. Okay. I mean, um, and, and Tommy would slander me here, but I'm not as in love with Ruggs. As everyone else, I know he's a burner, um, and I know he definitely has more of the build and production at receiver than John Ross did to be just like a solely a burner. So I'm not putting him in that category, but I don't think he. I think he lacks the physicality and the. I think the NFL ability to track a deep ball and to kind of be a consistent one or even two in the NFL. 
I, I think he's kind of gotten molded in with the other guys, and I don't think that he's necessarily worth a lottery pick in the first round. And I think that there are teams where, and, and call me crazy, if you're a team like the Packers, I, and people, I, this is what I would get hated on in the draft community, but I would take Chenault over Ruggs if I were the Packers. And maybe that's a testament to how much I like Chenault, but I just think that, and there are the injury concerns with Chenault, obviously, but in terms of someone who's just like, I think is going to be a consistent, steady NFL player, NFL body, um, physical, and, and fits that mold that you kind of want. You know, and this is all kind of case by case, and there are teams where Rogues would definitely probably be a better fit. I think I think Chenault would be the pick there. So, so it would be a case by case thing, and I'm not as in love with Rogues as everyone else. And I honestly don't think that Judy would be my, my number one, but I don't know if any of these guys warrant a top ten pick. Uh-huh. Is, as crazy as that may sound, man, I'm I'm tough on the receivers. Really, for me, if you unless you're really, you're getting a guy who's a freak like a Calvin or a Julio, honestly, or or yeah, you know, and, and I think maybe to the to the listener for you, that's maybe more of not that these guys might not be a top ten player in the draft, but for the history of receiver picks, I know you've always been kind of vocal about where the value absolutely. lies in taking a receiver. Absolutely, I think it's. You can't put it in the same category as running back, but they're in, they're they're related there when it comes to value. And when you talk about a guy who I mentioned earlier, like Devin Duvernay, and if you don't like him, there's several other options. We talked about a guy in Michael Pittman, and 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 then you got guys like Brandon Ayuk, who a lot of people like, or Peoples Jones, or KJ Hill. There's so many names when it comes to depth where you have to be really convinced. You have to be really sure that. Rugs, Lamb, or Judy are going to be that much more productive. These guys, there's such a, there's almost such an expectation. Unless you're such a good team, drafting later in the first round, if you're one of these teams that you need a lot, um, like the Jets, there's such an expectation to be elite right off the bat with that pick. And I don't really know if any of these guys necessarily can fit the bill. I'd be most confident to say Judy. I think Judy's the most NFL ready, and I, I think Lamb would probably be a close second. I think it'll go Judy will go to the Jets or Raiders, and Lamb will go to the Broncos, probably. That's where I would kind of see it. Or San Francisco. Um, or San Francisco, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Depending on what the D-tackle and cornerback situation looks like, or maybe if San Francisco's looking to trade back. I have no idea. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and I don't mean the slight rugs at all. I don't want to get, you know, usually I kind of get pigeonholed into this situation where just because I'm not as in love with rugs as everyone else that I don't like him. It's not that I don't like him. I definitely think that he's he can be a valuable player in the NFL. It's just that to draft someone like that at 11, you have to be very sure, you know, um, especially considering all the other talent on the board. So so why don't we do this? So let's do um, – who, who do we want to go with here? I mean, we'll put down Chenault. Okay. Do you want to go with five guys? Yeah, let's go with five guys. Let's go with Chenault. Um, you, want to, you, want, you want to do six? You want to do like four? Yeah. Let's do, like, two kind of sleeper guys. I'll throw one in, and you can throw one in. Okay, well, I was going to say, I was going to say, we can do, I was, this is what I was going to say, too. I was going to okay. say pick five guys, and then I want both of us to find on our own a day three dude. Okay, cool. Like, you know, not, maybe, God forbid, he goes at the end of the third, but, like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, probably a more day three prospect. To, and I'm to not pick. gonna say, even though I'm admittedly in love with Duvernay, I'm not gonna say him for my day three guy. I'm just gonna put that out there and let you kind of come to that film whenever you do. Okay. If you do, and I'm kind of right. just gonna. Uh, I'm gonna let you, everyone you're just know. giving me Duvernay. 
I'm, I'm letting as my own homework. We'll, we'll analyze other guys. I'll put him in that category. Okay. Just, he, he's just an, he's just a league guy, uh-huh. and uh, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, so let's go Chenault. Do do, I want to do Hamler. I want to do Hamler, okay. too. Let's do Chenault, Hamler. I'd like to do one of the Big 12 guys, either Rieger or Mims, just because I haven't, believe it or not, I haven't really focused in on the, either of those guys that much. I didn't watch too much of the Baylor TCU offense. Uh, you, you could pick. Um, I don't care. So let's do, uh, for some reason, I'm not in love with Denzel Mims. Okay. I kind of remember him at Baylor. So we'll do, we'll do Rieger. Okay. We'll do Rager, Rieger. And then we'll do, um, I mean. So I've heard a lot of stuff about Brian Edwards from okay. South Carolina. Let's throw him in there. Okay. Let's do Edwards, and then let's do. Uh, so one more. You can pick the last one. We kind of both did Chanel, and I picked Hamler and Edwards. So, for the sake of Tommy, let's put Ayuk in there. All right, Ayuk. Ayuk is a Tommy guy, okay. certified Tommy guy. We can say that does, much. Uh, does Tommy want to get in on this one? This next yeah, one? let's get let's get Tommy in on this get one. Get Tommy in the lab. Let's let him in. You know the two right. veterans. I mean, sometimes you, you we know that to, he's going to make. Sometimes we got to get some solo time. You, you know, gotta, you know, time is going to make the podcast go thirty minutes longer. But you know, <laughs> we'll let him have his time in the sun. <laughs> make sure we get those compressors on the vocals. And uh, I'll, I'll just say too, for for the sake of myself, if you're throwing out Duvernay, um, I'm a huge Pittman guy. Couldn't, okay. couldn't, couldn't be a bigger Pittman guy. Like I like Pittman a lot. Couldn't too. be I like a that. bigger Pittman guy. I like guy. that. I think if you're the the Texans. And that second round pick that you just traded mm-hmm. for for uh, DeAndre Hopkins, bring in Pitt. You want to hear something a little fun? Since we were doing some top ten action, how about a guy who sneaks into the late first round and Mike Pittman at the Vikings with twenty five? Cool. Yeah, I mean, dude, you don't see him going. Dude, I see him sometimes going into the third, man. Yeah. The guy with that much production and ball skills, it's shocking dude, to it's, me. That's the thing, though, Clef, is you can never even these mock drafts. I take them. They all look the same to me now. You yeah. just got to take them kind of with a grain of salt and, yep. and, and just kind of know where you kind of have your core analysis yep. stacked up with it and then just let it ride. Because when the when the Raiders take Farrell at four and then Abram at, at 20 yeah, or whatever and then, it is. And then Max Sharping and, and Titus Howard go. Or, Ex- yeah, go whatever, exactly. Whatever. Before Cody Ford, then yeah. everything gets turned upside down. You're going to wish you had just gone from the friggin' cuff, man. You're going to wish you just had gone from the heart. So you just kind of got to rate these guys and – we don't have the best assets. We don't have all 22. We don't know. You know, I like to think I know schematically more than the average person about football, definitely. But I'm not going to sit up here and try to say that I know how to analyze every defense and I know every responsibility and all this. Um, but it's it's fun, definitely, to get in the weeds and just to kind of let it let it rip on these on these mocks, man. I'm probably going to release my uh, my my mock uh, my first. Since it's so boring and, and we have this pandemic happening, yeah. and, uh, I've, I'm going to break my. I won't release my what I would do mock until draft week. I'll uh-huh. never release my what I would do, but I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do like kind of some maybe realistic trade scenarios and throw them up on the site, and, you know, just for fun. Some some mock drafts of what I might possible scenarios I could see playing out. And so uh, I guess we're you know very much rambling at the end here, but uh, let's. Uh, I would I would like to throw one more thing out there just just to kind of for us to to laugh at, I guess. Okay. Um, you're talking about how last year, I guess how everything kind of went out the window with those O-linemen towards the, the end of the first round and into the early second, where both of us had Cody Ford as a, as a guy we loved. Um, and the Panthers, I remember there was a there was a Bills, like, war room camera, 
and the Panthers, I think, traded up in front of them or something, and they're like, oh, crap, there goes, there goes Cody Ford. They're, yeah. all, they're all pissed off, and then in comes the card, and it's Greg Little. From, from from Ole Miss, right? Yeah. Bills go crazy. They get Cody Ford, just an absolute mauler in, in his rookie season. And then uh, you know the Panthers have to bring in Russell Okun to fill exactly. that to fill that Greg exactly. Little sized hole in their draft plan. So there's a big old question mark next to Greg Little's name on the depth chart coming into training camp. <laughs> and, get, and guess who played right tackle? All, 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 what, am I mistaken in saying all 16 games and the playoff game? Yep. Yeah. And is going to retire a bill? Slapping some people around there up in Buffalo. Slapping people around. I'm glad he went to Buffalo, man. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Love to see it. Um, I, I guess that pretty much wraps it up. Yeah, man. man. Uh, that's good. Good to be on the horn. Absolutely. Next, next time we'll get uh, we'll get Mr. Stay Scheming himself with us.